Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either. You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm safe and sound and back in Nairobi. I think last time we spoke, I was getting ready to leave from Lamu. (laughs) I went out to dinner last night with a new friend. She's an influencer here in Kenya. And she's been, you know, listening to Ratchet and Respectable and following along with my journeys around Africa. And she said, I was really excited to hear that you were, you know, in my country. And then you said that you were in Lamu. I was like, where is Lamu? I've never heard of Lamu. And she took, she said, it took me a minute to realize. And she was like, oh, she meant Lamu. And I was like, oh, is that what it is? It's Lamu. And she was like, yeah, I don't know what Lamu. <laughs> she was making fun of my American accent. And she was like, no, no, it's La- Lamu, Lamu. And I was like, oh, okay. And every time I would say it at dinner last night, she would correct me very kindly. She's a mom. She's got a seven-year-old. You know how parents, like when their kids are mispronouncing things or using grammar incorrectly, the parent will repeat it back to them to make sure they get it right. And so she did it until Lamu started to roll off my tongue very easily. That and um, I think I said I was in Tanzania and she was like, in Tanzania. (laughs) Y'all know I can't pronounce shit. (laughs) I be trying. I gotta do better. I I shared on social media the journey getting back from Lamu in a canoe that stopped in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I think I freaked my poor mother out. I mean, obviously, if I'm posting, I'm fine. I've, I've made it to a safe space. I'm, I'm not in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But my mother texted me. Usually she'll read the Dear Mums and when she gets around to it, you know, she'll text me back. But she hit me up immediately after that one went up. And she was like, mommy's been praying for you. And I was like, real talk, like I needed it yesterday. Usually I'm all right. But this Kenya journey between like the little flight where I thought I was going to fall out the damn sky and and the canoe across the Indian Ocean, I could have dealt with being wet because there was no there was no cover on the canoe and it was raining. It was pouring. I could have dealt with the wet. The wet was fine, although I was wet for four hours. I was I was wet in the canoe. I was wet when I got to the airport. I was wet waiting for the plane to come. And then I sat on the plane wet. I was wet for like a full four hours. I had to blow dry my shoes when I got to my hotel. Wet, I can do. Trapped. On a canoe in the middle of the Indian Ocean, I cannot. That that was that was too much for me. And I was like, yo, I need I need to go home. And by home I mean a cry. I don't I don't mean like I'm leaving Africa. I mean like I just need to go back safely to my bed in a cry where I am I am safe and sound. But Kenya is a vibe. Kenya has been absolutely awesome and amazing. <laughs> I've been out of pocket really since the, for the last ten days. I went on safari, which we talked about. So I was in the Maasai Mara and then I went straight from Maasai Mara. I mean, I technically flew back through Nairobi, but I was only at the airport on a layover for a couple hours. So I went from pretty much Maasai Mara to Lamu. So I kept up with American news because, you know, most of my timeline is American and I purposely look up stuff because I need to talk about it on the podcast. No problem. So I have an Uber pick me up from the airport yesterday to take me to my hotel. And, you know, he was asking like, oh, where did you come from? Because he knows it was a local airport. And I was like, oh, I went here. I went there. And he was like, oh, have you been, you know, keeping up with news? And I said, you know, not really. And he's like, you heard about like the British prime minister? And I said, yeah, like I heard like the woman that she's she's stepping down after like six weeks on the job. And he was like, yeah. And I can't remember the word that he used. It was the equivalent of, of scam or finesse. 
keep that for a minute. So he was like, yeah, the, the new guy who took over. And I was like, wait, he's already in office. And he was like, yeah. And I said, the Indian guy. And he said, yes. And he has Kenyan roots, which is why he was excited to tell me the story. So the new prime minister is British, but his parents lived in Kenya and migrated from Kenya to the UK. His dad was born in Kenya and his mom was born in Tanzania. There's a there's a long backstory with that. To say they migrated is technically accurate, I think. I was reading the backstory about Indian immigration to the UK from Kenya on nation.africa. If you want to check it out, it, it's called Prime Minister Rishi Sunak from Kenya to the United Kingdom. It came out on Monday, but it's a detailed history of Kenyan Indians and their move to the UK. So essentially his parents were living in Kenya when Kenya became independent from the UK and they put a lot of laws in place to, from the perspective of Indians, it sounds really fucked up. From the perspective of Africans, it doesn't. The short version is Kenya was colonized by the UK and white people ran the country. Africans didn't have a lot of power. Indians were treated as not quite as good as white, but better than black. So it was a clear caste system here. And so once Kenya gets its independence, Africans take over and they're like, no, we're going to restructure our systems so that African Kenyans can run Kenya, which completely makes sense to me. But one of the ways that they did that was to disempower people and businesses that were already in effect and put Kenyan Africans in charge. I get it. I get it. If you're African, if you're Indian, then it's kind of fucked up, especially in the case of someone like the new prime minister, his father, who's born in Kenya. Like he's Kenyan. Like he's always lived here. He doesn't know anything else, but also benefited from the privilege of, of being Indian in a country that was anti-African. And he's not that. He exists in that middle place. And I'm giving you like the very, very abbreviated version of, of what I've read and my understanding of what happened. So please do your own research. But essentially, Kenya was like, these Indians got to go, got to go like Africa for Africans. We'll keep a certain number, but other ones must leave. And then the UK was like, ooh, ooh, yeah. OK, so technically, because this was a colony and so people live there may have British citizenship. And technically, like legally, y'all can go back and forth. But we really don't want all them brown people coming into our predominantly white country. So we'll take a few. We'll take some. But Kenya was like, well, we don't want you here. And then Britain was like, well, we don't want you here either. So a lot of Kenyan Indian families were caught in the crossroads of that. But the finesse, that's what I wanted to tell you about. So the Uber driver is telling me about the prime minister and the Kenyan roots and all of that. This new prime minister is the first prime minister of color ever in the UK. Like, I mean, in like ever. He's also, is it the fifth prime minister? Did I read that right? He's the fifth prime minister in six years. Yeah, I'm reading this on um, CNN.com. UK's fifth conservative prime minister in just over six years. What the fuck is going on in the UK? I know we got problems in the US. And again, I'm not paying attention to news. I'm just sitting in like, I'm just sitting in the back of Uber, listening to the, the conversations on talk radio 
or just overhearing other people's conversations as I'm sitting in the waiting room at say like airports or something like that. And like people are very concerned about the American elections. There's a a deep fear of, of what's going to happen because of January 6th. That nonsense, that crazy shit, that coup at the Capitol is shit that's associated with third world countries, developing nations, not the United States. Just FYI, despite the strength of our dollar, despite our our Hollywood branding, our marketing, which has gone to shit, by the way, January 6th and COVID just killed all illusions of American exceptionalism worldwide. In other countries, we are the emperor with no clothes. We still act like America is the best country on earth. And people are like, you know, we have Internet. You know, we have social media and and Instagram and TikTok, too, and and news. And we see y'all. We know that y'all ain't shit either. But there's deep concern about what is going to happen in America with these elections and if there's going to be another coup, essentially, if violence will erupt in connection with the elections. I swear I'll tell you the finesse story in a minute. I just want to mention this. Last night when my friend was dropping me off, and her name is Nellie. Shout out to Nellie. She's a sweetheart. She just DM'd me and was like, hey, I see you're in my country, in my city. Do you want to grab a cocktail, get something to eat? I've been a listener for years. Would love to meet you. And I was so honored. She actually invited me to her home. Please come to my home with my husband, my kid. We would love to host you and, and make dinner for you. And, and I was very, very honored. And I wrote back to her and I was like, please don't think me rude. And I was like, but I'm a woman traveling alone. And I really just wouldn't be comfortable coming to your home. But I'm very flattered to be invited. And I would love to meet you somewhere for a cocktail or dinner, if that would be okay. And so she was like, yeah, of course. So we had a great dinner, great conversation. And she drove me home. And we were talking about takeoff. One of the members of, of Migos, for my listeners, parents of, of my peer group, or, or are my parents, or my parents' friends who listen. Um, I know there's like a, a large, like 65 and up demographic that listens to the podcast. And it's like, Migos? What, what, is, what is the Migos? Migos is a rap group, very popular rap group based out of Atlanta, three members. And one of them, Takeoff, the quiet one. He wasn't involved in, in any bullshit. He wasn't a big talker. He wasn't a big poster on Instagram. He kind of just did the work and, and kept his head down. And he was a backdrop kind of dude, quiet dude by all accounts. But he was killed in Houston the other day at a bowling alley. There was a dice game at a very upscale bowling alley. Somebody was throwing a private party. The story that I heard and an argument broke out. He wasn't part of the argument. He was just a bystander, a celebrity bystander, but a bystander nonetheless. And somebody started shooting and he got hit. And, and he's dead at, at 28. So she brought up Takeoff's murder. And she asked me something like if I thought I was going back to America. I think that's what prompted the conversation. The end result of it was she was talking about the crime and the racism in America. And so she was like, America just seems really scary. And I was like, yeah, I could see that. If, if most of what you hear about us is coups and the husband of a prominent political figure, his home broken into, attacked with a hammer and hit in the head at 80 some odd years old. So political instability, school shootings, because we shooting up a school like every week. And then these random killings. I feel like a new rapper gets shot every what month? off the top of my head and this is not even you know paying attention to hip-hop like that but obviously take off pnb young Dolph. i never even heard of him before he got killed nipsey was 
almost four years ago. Nipsey happened right before I moved to L.A. in 2019, April, I think. It's, and it's not just rappers. Rappers, because they have a platform and some celebrity are the ones that make the headlines. It's, and essentially, it's like black men under 30. I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, it feels like the 90s again. Not because of rappers being killed. I'm not thinking specifically of Biggie and Tupac, but I'm thinking of like every morning you turn on the news and there's, you know, a listing of how many people got shot the night before. Don't let it be Monday or God forbid a three day weekend when it's hot. It's not one or two. It's seven, 10, 15 in certain cities. Just that shit was crazy then and it's crazy now. And I don't I don't even know like what is to be done about it. Like there's a clear lack of value for human life. And, and I can't even say specifically it's black life. I'm speaking about the murder of, of young black men, but the school shootings, the mass school shootings, that's usually white people. America in general has a lack of respect for life. And I don't know how you stop the shootings because just as a country, we've decided we're not getting rid of the guns. It doesn't matter how many schools get shot up. doesn't matter how many mass shootings at, at malls or events or was it? I don't know. I can't remember if it was a comedian, a public figure who pointed it out. I don't want to take credit for the idea, but it's when it really hit me. After Sandy Hook, the children, the five and six year old children of very rich white people were slaughtered at school and we still didn't outlaw guns. We just we just don't give a fuck. And that's that's where it is. We talk about the prevalence of guns and mental illness and all of that when it comes to these school shootings. But the prevalence of guns and, and probably and probably a bit of mental illness, too. You can't quite be right in the head to, I don't know, shoot somebody in an argument over a dice game. This shit. I know I'm meandering, but, but I got a lot on my mind. But I cried yesterday morning over um, takeoff. But also... I didn't mention Pop Smoke when I just made that list of rappers, but him too. Pop Smoke hit me really hard too, because I think I just moved to LA not so long before he was murdered. But just like the, the loss of life and particularly the age of the loss of life, I'm getting choked up talking about it now. 28 is so fucking young. And I know Takeoff had accomplished a lot professionally, like his name is internationally known. It was known even before his murder. So he left a mark. But 28 is just, it's, it's, it's not even, it's barely getting started. Like I was sitting on the boat the other day. I think I talked about Mr. Lee. I did on the previous episode of the podcast. And you know, he's 82 years old and he's telling me all these stories. My math might be a little off, but it seems like he got locked up when he was in his late teens, early 20s. And he served 20 years in the federal pen. And then he gets out in his late 30s, early 40s, and he moves to Africa. And he's been here since 82, bouncing around from country to country, having so many experiences, living in different places, meeting different people, just seeing the world, lovers, friends, homes, ups and downs. But he got to live. Even after a 20-year bid, which some people would be like, your life is over. No, he was like late 30s, early 40s. And I was talking to him about moving to to Africa. And I specifically say to Africa because I'm bouncing around to all these different countries. He asked me what the catalyst was. I got divorced and I was really unsettled after that. And I was trying to figure out, like, you know, what's next? Like, what's what's the thing? And I was like, I don't want my life to be in vain. Like, I had this really terrible experience and it really rock bottomed me. 
And I want to build something big and beautiful and grand from that. And when I started thinking of possibilities and, and moving to Africa, moving to Ghana was not the first one. If you're a long-term listener of the podcast, you know, I talked about moving to Atlanta forever too, but I had to like push myself like bigger, bigger. Eventually I end up in Ghana. Um, but I say all this to say just by the opportunity of being able to live, you can figure out life. You can have different experiences. You can hit rock bottom with the divorce and move back into your parents' home, living in the guest bedroom, account dwindling. Just by the opportunity of life, opportunity, the privilege of life, you can figure out what's next for you. Migos says a rap group wasn't going to go on forever. There's a shelf life on that. They'd already split, but they were going to do other things if they got the opportunity. But take off? Just 28, just so much promise, potential, possibilities cut short. I also went on Twitter and I wasn't even scrolling necessarily for information about takeoff. I was just like scrolling the timeline as I was waiting for my backup battery to charge. And I saw this video of takeoff's body. Paramedics hadn't arrived yet. It looked like it was just after... He had been shot. Initially, when I saw the video, I was angry because it's very graphic. Um, and it's very graphic. When I saw the video at first, I was really angry because I was like, no one needs to be remembered this way. Like, remember him as he was. Don't remember him as a, as a bloody body on the floor. And then I also thought about his, his mother specifically, but also his family members. Nobody needs to see their child. His father, too. Nobody needs to see their child's body. And even though his friends had the best of intentions trying to move him, but nobody needs to see their, their child's bloody body laid out on a floor on a fucking mall. And I actually posted something on Instagram, like have some fucking respect. It's not going to be a popular opinion, but I'm kind of glad that somebody released the video is, is what's the word insensitive, depraved. I think it is to see somebody's bloody body on the floor and pull out your phone and start recording. I think people seeing his body on the floor really brought it home of what a murder looks like. Because I think we hear about it so often. Again, I just ran off like a list of rappers. You hear about these guys being killed. And depending on what community you come from, you end up with your face on T-shirts. You get a mural on the wall. You become a local hero, a local legend. I've, I've seen commentary about whether Pop Smoke would have been as popular had he lived as opposed to him getting shot. Even before I think his his major label album came out, I think there's an idea about like Tupac and Biggie and they become legends worldwide. Like I remember walking around Argentina and there was like a whole side of a building with Tupac and Biggie, same mural. And I was like, are you kidding me? When you go to other countries, like there's always certain faces that you see on T-shirts. Bob Marley, Che Guevara, Frida Kahlo, Tupac and Biggie. Jimi Hendrix sometimes. But I think, and not sometimes, because there have been so many people killed. And then there's been so many people that have become international icons, really. I think that's the word I was looking for, not deities, icons. Because of their music and because of their untimely deaths, I think people get really desensitized to what death by murder especially looks like. And I think seeing 
And I'm not telling you to go watch it. I, I, I don't actually recommend it. And again, I didn't have the intention to watch it. But just seeing his body. I make pop culture references for everyone. So I'm going to say this next line, hoping that I don't come across as insensitive. But it reminded me of the scene in The Godfather when, when The Godfather sees Sonny's body all shot up. And he says to The Undertaker, he says, look what they did to my boy. And I thought about that looking at Takeoff, seeing Quavo distraught, distraught over his body. And I'm like, that's the impact of what these murders are. It's not your streams go through the roof. It's not, it's not hashtag rest in peace Takeoff. It's a life cut short, potential cut short, family devastated. It's just, it's just a senseless fucking loss. I don't know. Pop Smoke hit me hard because he was just so damn young. Was he 20? I don't think he was in 21 yet. Some of the other guys I wasn't familiar with, even Nipsey. Nipsey hit me hard because I just moved to LA and it was clearly a city in mourning. I wasn't really familiar with Nipsey. I think I knew his name. I knew him as the guy Lauren London was dating, but I didn't know Nipsey like that. Some of the other guys, Young Dolph, I never heard of until he was murdered. PNB, I never heard of until he was murdered. I knew the big song, but I didn't know his name. But Takeoff? I didn't even think I knew Takeoff's necessarily name, per se. I knew him as the third guy in Migos. I knew Quavo. I knew Offset. And then the other one, who really never said anything. And that's the one that's gone to see the king now. I know I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. I'm mourning. I can't talk about the other situation yet. Um, my um, This woman I went to college with, Marshall. Ah, I can't talk about that yet. Sorry. I'll lose it. Marcel, she, um, she died. She'd been having some medical issues for quite some time that she, you know, very publicly spoke about. She spoke about them on her, her Facebook timeline, which we'd kept in contact over the years. Uh, Marcel Taggart, she passed away last week. Her funeral is tomorrow in D.C. I'll tell that story one day. Um, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. But I'm just having a lot of inward conversations about life and death. Also, too, because, you know, I'm on a fucking canoe in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And I think sometimes the way I write about things, people think that, you know, it's funny. And it is now that I'm safe. But in the moment, I was like, yo, I'm really about to die. I'm really about to die. I know y'all used to be crying on episodes, but I actually hate doing it. I'm going to have to pause for a minute. I'll be right back. The finesse. Can we talk about the finesse? Because that was what started this whole conversation. Liz Truss, the British prime minister that served for 45 days and then quit. Do you know this woman will get paid 115,000 British pounds? It's 129,000 USD. Don't wait. The British pound fell that far? The British pound is less than USD? Holy shit. I may fuck around and move to London this summer. Sidebar, that was something I was already thinking about. I didn't realize their currency had fallen that far. That's terrible, like if you live in the UK, but if you're American, I have such a conflict with that shit. Sorry, 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 distracted, distracted. The point is, she worked for 45 days. She gets a check for 115,000 British pounds for the rest of her life. A six-figure check if she don't do shit else. If she sits on her ass and breathes, she stays alive. 
that's probably the theme of this episode, staying alive. She stays alive. She gets 115,000 British pounds, 129,000 USD for the rest of her life. I was like, that is the finesse of all finesses. I might've taken a job and quit in six weeks too. That's $2 million for 45 days of work. Another 30 years, $3 million. The longer she lives, the more sense it makes for 45 days of work. Even if all she got was 115,000 for those 45 days of work. I mean, that's still good money. 115,000 pounds? CNN London has a picture of her getting in the car. She looks like a fucking lotto winner. She had the biggest fucking smile on her face. And I was like, I would too. I would too. People on Twitter were saying she should turn it down. She ain't doing that shit. Come on, come now. They were like, morally, she only worked for 45 days. Actually, 44. They were like, she only worked for 44 days. She shouldn't accept the money. I mean, what people shouldn't do and what people do, entirely different things. She's not, she not giving the money back. Keep it 100. I like to think that I'm kind of a moral person. Like, I lean mostly toward morality. I mean, I, I have a number. I have a number in which I'll do completely immoral shit. I wouldn't, like, harm kids or anything. I'd like to think I wouldn't murder. But I'm like, how much we talking? I definitely wouldn't do it for less than eight figures. And at that point, I just outsource it. Like, I'm not doing that shit. But I think everybody has a number for most things. Like the kid thing, no. But a lot of other shit, yeah. But yeah, she ain't getting that damn money back. This is a hard episode and it's just going to stay that way. There's a couple other topics that I want to discuss. I'll save most of them for next week. But one that I definitely want to talk about is D-Wade, Dwayne Wade, retired basketball player Dwayne Wade, husband of Gabrielle Union and father to Zaya Wade. Zaya Wade is trans. She's a trans girl. She came out publicly as trans in 2019. And I say she came out, but it was more like her parents announced our daughter is trans. In interviews, Dwayne has said that Zaya knew she was trans from sometime around when she was three. And then she sat them all down a few years ago at a family meeting and was like, heck, so I don't think I'm gay. I know I'm a girl and I'm attracted to boys. So I'm actually trans and I'm straight. So so we're clear. Dwayne Wade said he and Gabby were like, I'm sorry, what? They didn't have the proper knowledge, tools to help their daughter. They said they reached out to the Pose cast. And I was like, you know what? The creator of the show was trans. If there were some trans people on the cast, they would be able to give insight. I guess they did because Zaya Wade seems to be thriving. Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union have been very publicly outspoken about their daughter and very publicly supportive of their daughter, which I think is a very good thing. And I'm reading this on the, the Daily Mail because they have all the, um, the juicy tidbits, which I don't really care about the juiciness of it all. And not at this point in the story. But they note that back in August that Dwayne Wade filed a petition to change his daughter's legal name to Zaya. Her current legal name is Zion. But she goes by Zaya. She identifies as a girl. And so she wants a girl name. And so D-Wade was like, well, okay, if that's what you want to do, then, then that's what we'll do. Zaya's mom, we don't really hear. Siobhan, I think that's how she pronounces her name. Uh, we don't hear much about her, but she is, in fact, D-Wade's ex-wife, and she is Zaya's biological mom. She is not in support of Zaya legally changing her name to Zaya. And she filed, I think, like an injunction of some sort to stop D-Wade and Zaya 
from changing Zaya's name until she's 18. And furthermore, this is where she kind of lost me. She says that her ex-husband, Dwayne Wade, is exploiting their 15-year-old daughter and doing so for financial gain. And I was like, are, are we talking about the same Dwayne Wade? I had to go look up his, um, you know, these things are always wrong because they have a listing for me. And I was like, wait, what? I had to go look up his net worth. Dwayne Wade, on, on all the different like celebrity net worth sites, is worth uh, somewhere between 160 and 170 million USD dollars and dineros. Over the course of his career, gener- he earned 190 million as, as like as a paycheck, like he was paid out. Like, of course, he had to pay taxes and managers and publicists and, you know, all of that. Like, so with that understanding, right, but he was paid out one hundred and ninety million. So the sites list D-Way's net worth as between one hundred and sixty and one hundred and seventy million, depending on the site. Let's say they're off by one hundred million dollars. Let's give one hundred million dollars room for error. He'd still be worth between sixty and $70 million. The idea that Dwayne Wade is exploiting his daughter for money. Like, what is he, a Kardashian? What? I've never gotten the idea that Dwayne Wade is exploiting his trans daughter. He talks about her a lot. But I think that's because, like, she's his kid. We see Zaya a lot. Like, yeah. But we see her way less than Kavya. We see Kavya every freaking day. If there's any child in the Wade family that they could reasonably be accused of exploiting for attention and monetary gain, it would be the baby. I feel like I know everything about that baby. And I'm not mad at it. She's a, she's a, she's a fascinating child. She's got so much personality. There's like a line of baby clothes for the baby. I want to say there was like some baby shampoo or baby something like baby self-care or something like that. And I don't think they're exploiting their youngest daughter. I'm just saying, if there was any accusation to validly be made about using a child for financial gain, I was like, it would be the baby. It wouldn't be Zaya, I don't think. But that's what the ex-wife has accused. So the story hit the, the news and the blogs. And, you know, people had lots to say. I mean, it is a very uh, transphobic world. A lot of people don't understand trans or they just have hateful hearts and spirits. Um, about people who are, you know, outside the the binary. Some folks are just ignorant. Siobhan's, I guess, petition, injunction, I don't know the right word for it. Um, But her legal document that she filed, and then the stories that were covering it, the comment sections were wild and phobic and terrible and awful and all of those things. Dwayne Wade and Gabby are currently on some kind of like world tour. Gabby's 50th birthday just rolled around. They actually celebrated it in Zanzibar at the same resort that I stayed at. And I was like, I miss D-Wade and Gabby by like a week. Are you kidding me? But that's when she had her 50th birthday party. And then the Wades, at least Gabby, Dwayne, and Kavia all came to Ghana. They've been gallivanting around Ghana and Kente Cloth and living their best motherland lives. And yet, news of this lawsuit And I would assume the commentary that it generated caught Dwayne Wade's attention. And he was none too pleased. I don't really follow Dwayne Wade super closely, but I largely thought of him as somebody who's pretty easygoing, level-headed. He don't really publicly 
clap back at folk. The way he responded to his ex-wife on Instagram, no less, um, is something that I'm not accustomed to from him. I'm not mad at it, but he's clearly at the end of his fucks. I had to go look up Dwayne Wayne's age. He's actually exactly 40. And I was like, oh, his fucks have run out right on time. It's not just women. It happens to men as well. So in addressing his ex-wife's legal attempt to stop Zaya's name change, he, he wrote this open letter that he posted on Instagram. He says, quote, since this must be the new way of parenting, I guess I have to address these allegations here, which is a damn shame. As soon as I read that, I was like, what, what am I in for? I had to scroll and I was like, oh, he wrote paragraphs a- across three Instagram pages. I was like, sir had a lot to get off his chest today. He said, um, while I'm on a life changing trip to our motherland, Africa, I've received a social media post about me forcing our 15 year old child to be someone she's not and to do something against her will. These are serious and harmful allegations that have hurt our children. His use of our is very interesting because he's writing this as an open letter to his ex-wife. Not about his ex-wife, it's to his ex-wife. Then he goes into the third person. He speaks to the general audience. He says, while none of us are surprised by Siobhan's attempt to fight Zaya's identity and her unwavering attempt to drag my name through the mud, I'm very disappointed that she continuously finds ways of centering herself and her, all caps, needs, without regard to her children. This report came out while Zaya was in class. He wasn't done. He wasn't done. He had more. I told you it went on for three pages. It's very unlike him. The fuck factory is dry. The fuck field is barren. Mr. Wade continued. He pointed out that his ex-wife has done similar bullshit. He said, quote, Siobhan tried a similar attempt over a decade ago with equally damaging lies and causing irreparable harm to her children. And 13 lawyers later, I was awarded sole custody of our two kids as an active NBA player. She said instead of actually trying to co-parent over the years, She's left her home to see more lawyers and she has taken the time to talk to more lawyers since I filed for divorce than she's left her home to actually see or have truly spoken and listened to Zaya over all these years. He continues. We still on page two. He says, I've given her the opportunity to reach out to Zaya's teachers, doctors and therapists over the years and even meet her friends. So she could get an understanding of our child's needs for her life. She won't do it. She has not been to a school, recital, graduation, school dance, play date, practice, parent-teacher conference, etc. And Zaya has given her every opportunity to try to get to know her. She won't do it. Now we're on page three. Mr. Wade continues. He says, as a woman who claims to be a good Christian mother... I've yet to see her make any sacrifice or effort to leave her own home to participate in her children's lives in over a decade. In his defense, he says, quote, no one in our house would ever force Zaya or any of our children to do anything against their will, much less force an identity on them. This isn't a game for my family and definitely not for Zaya. This is her life. 
He returns to Siobhan. He wasn't done yet. We thought he was wrapping it up. He's not done. He says Siobhan has decided to pretty much be an absent parent to Zaya all on her own. He says as men, we get a bad rep for not showing up and being absentee fathers. That's not the case here because I'm 10 toes down and I'm still going through the bullshit. I will not sit on my hands this time and allow her to make a mockery of my dedication to my family. The high road has run out of real estate. My lawyer will be in contact and best of luck to the 14th lawyer as they try to unravel the book of lies that's been sold to them. Mr. Wade has said, fuck it all. Mr. Wade has said, you have fucked around. You about to find out. Usually in conversations like this, I can be a little biased. I usually lean toward the moms. I do. I remember when the Wades were going through their divorce. It was very public. It was very nasty. And it played out for a very long time. His wife acted a whole fool during that divorce. She did. At one point, she was like sitting outside like she was homeless, holding up signs, asking for money. Do you remember that? Am I making that up? I don't know. At the point that you're talking about 13 lawyers and she ain't never been to no events for the child. She's she's decided to be an absentee parent. Is he making all this shit up? I don't know. When Kanye West gets on his microphone and he's like, you know, Kim does this and Kim's a bad parent and Kim this and Kim that. I take it with a grain of salt. Kim is trying to keep me from the kids. I'm like, sir, your behavior is erratic. I would probably keep you away from the kids, too. Just, I mean, keep it 100. I mean, Kim has her own faults, but I don't think, I don't think being a bad mother, not that we've publicly seen, is one of them. Even the things he accuses her of. Like, you know, North is on TikTok. I'm like, sir, this doesn't warrant a public outburst. Have a conversation. Okay, you might not get your way, and you have to deal with that. You're not the only parent of this child. That said, my initial thought when I saw that, that Zaya's mom was trying to block the name change was she should be heard out as Zaya's mom. That shouldn't be a unilateral decision. Like, okay, Zaya wants the name change. I do understand the, her positioning to a degree, where she was like, hey, if that's what she's going to do, then that's not something a parent should be doing for her. That's, a, that's something that she should do for herself when she turns 18. I kind of get it. I also feel that if Zaya knows who she is at 15, also feel at 15, 16, you know, to a, you know for the most part who you are. You know if you're L or G or B or T or Q or I or A, your hormones have kicked in. Like I was very clear at 15 that I was heterosexual. I imagine if I was something else, I'd be very clear on that too. I might not be comfortable telling people because in general, our society, just overall culture only really accepts heterosexuality. But at 15, you know the basics of I feel like a boy. I feel like a girl. I feel like something else. I don't feel like anybody. You know it. You know at 15. You know who you're attracted to or not at 15. Just like when D-Wade said, Zaya was like, so here's the thing. I'm not gay. On the inside, I'm a girl and I'm attracted to boys. So that makes me straight. Like that makes total sense to me. I don't see why you would essentially force somebody to keep an identity that they don't feel fits them. It's also not lost to me that she could legally change her name at 15 to Zaya. And if she decides, you know, as an adult that, you know what, this is just a phase that she's going through. She also could just legally change it back. It's not like it's a one way street. It's not like you change it. You can never change it again. I, I was Lucas. Then I was something else. Now I'm Lucas again. Ask Niecy Nash. 
when I interviewed Nisi, I think I asked her something about taking Jessica's last name. And she was like, it wasn't a big deal to me. And she was like, you know, publicly I'm known as Nisi Nash. But she was like, that's not my original last name. She's like, that's my ex-husband's last name. Is it? It is. That's at least three name changes for Nisi Nash alone. I mean, again, different circumstances. But the point is, you can keep changing your name. Zaya will be fine. And if she's not, she can change it. She don't even have to go back to Zion. She can change it to something else. Something don't even start with a Z. But I really don't like that this is um, a public conversation. The only reason I'm speaking about it is because Dwayne Wade's response and putting it on Instagram, like it's essentially inviting the whole world into the group chat to have a conversation. I hope for the best of everyone involved, especially the children, that the parents can figure something out. Like they had this contentious divorce and apparently they're having contentious um, co-parenting. We all have opinions on, on what the right course of action is in regards to Zaya and her name change and her trans life and, and all of those things. But the truth of the matter is like, you know, this is a, this is a family matter. Um, and it's about the, the, the best, uh, what's the word? Best outcome of a 15 year old girl. I hope they can work it out and I hope they can work it out in a way that is in Zaya's best interest, whatever they as parents are determined to do, which I actually think is to change, which actually, you know, just because I'm part of the group chat now, um, I think it's to change her name, legally change her name. And if, you know, down the line, you know, she wants to change it to something else or whether it's, you know, maybe she wants to change her name to Maria. I don't know. Maybe she wants to put something with a K so she and Kavya can have matching K names. I don't know. But I don't see any harm in, in changing her name. She's going to live her life as a girl, as a young woman. Um, then she should have, you know, the name that she wants. She should have the name that she feels fits her identity that works for her. So there's so much more we could talk about. Kyrie Irving, we could talk about him. Or this, in, which I'm very uninterested in. I think he... I think he intentionally does dumb shit and the Nets suspending him for at least five games and the teams and the, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. I'm um, suspending him for at least five games is completely warranted. He brought that dumb shit on himself. I've been saying for years and I said it so much that I put it on t-shirts. Shutting the fuck up is free. Kyrie Irving sat there and watched what was happening to Kanye West with all this anti-Semitic conversation. And for whatever reason, cause because he wanted attention, because he's, I don't know, because he's, what's the word, um, self-destructive. I don't know. Um, but he decided to insert himself into this anti-Semitic conversation and, and toe the line. Like, oh, I just posted about a movie. It doesn't mean. And then, you know, it asked to renounce anti-Semitism and basically be like, I'm not a bigot. He refused. So the NBA was like, well, fuck you then. And now he's out for at least five games. Um, he brought this dumb shit on himself. And I've just been loosely following this story. But he said something about being like a free thinking black man. And I was like, no, this is he said something about like the consequences of being a free black man. And I was like, no, this is you're not having you're not facing consequences for being free or for being free, just for being a free thinker or being a free thinking black man. It's like you're facing consequences for for being a bigot dude i get it like we're black like we're used to racism people say crazy things about black people but yes we too can still be bigoted and racist and that's kind of what he and kanye are being right now this shit's gross but that's not the nba story i'm interested in there's another story who did this guy play for he was the 11th or 12th draft pick please tell me you've heard about this story what team was he with 
I'm sorry, my internet is coming up slow. Joshua Primo. He was let go from the Spurs for exposing his penis to the team therapist. The team therapist in a lawsuit accused him of exposing himself, exposing his penis. So we're clear. Exposing his penis to her on nine separate occasions. And you might say to yourself, how does one expose a penis nine times in a work setting? How is this possible? And like, why didn't she say anything at the time? But she did. But she did. And that's where the lawsuit comes from. Because he exposed his penis to her for the first time in December 2021. And people are like, well, why is she just now saying something? It's November. It's almost been a year. That was the first time he exposed his penis. She reported it in January. He exposed his penis again in March. And she reported it again in March. And they didn't do shit. As a matter of fact, they kept scheduling sessions with the two of them. They kept, they kept assigning them together. Like my friends and I were having a conversation about this on Facebook and somebody was like, look, why did she keep going to the meetings? Like I've done great work for this organization and, and I reported to you on many separate occasions that your, that your little prime pick player was pulling his penis out and you didn't do shit about it. And now you're going to fire me and keep him. Oh, absolutely. Fuck no. So she sued. That's not when they fired him though. The mofo pulled his penis out to two more people. One of them started talking about it publicly. Then the lawsuit came out. Then another woman came out and people were like, oh, yeah, this motherfucker really got a problem. We got to let him go because he keeps pulling his penis out on people. The therapist told you he was pulling his penis out. So now she's suing the Spurs. That's a payday. That's a whole payday. (sighs) That's the episode for today. I'll be back next week with more shenanigans. There's so much to talk about. I've skipped over a ton of things. Um, Some of it I need to let simmer to see if some more details come out. We'll be back next week. As always, thanks for listening. Okay. Have a great weekend. Bye. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.